The first spark of this sermon ignited when I listened to Dan and Brenda Davis's sermon on ethical hunting. I nearly didn't come to church that morning, as I thought I'd be subject to listening to the Davises espousing their rights to shoot and kill harmless animals in the name of food or sport. I'm glad I did come that particular Sunday morning, because it proved once again that, as in most of big issues in life, there's two sides to the coin. So, um, in the same vein, I hope that you can put aside any pre-held beliefs you may have and listen as I try to explain why Unitarian Universalism, animal rights, and vegetarianism are such good bedfellows. After saying that, this sermon is not so much about animal rights, it's about human responsibilities. After all, Teaching a child not to step on a caterpillar is as valuable to the child as it is to the caterpillar. Of the seven Unitarian Universalist principles that we are meant to affirm and promote in our daily lives, four of them can be construed as being in accord with the thrust of my vision. The inherent worth and dignity of every person. Why limit this principle just to people? Why not simply extend it to animals? Justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Again, why not include animals within the remit of this principle? The goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Likewise, how can the world be at peace and have justice for all when billions of animals are forced to lead barbaric and tortuous lives before they end up on our plates? And then finally, respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a small part. Let me repeat this one. Re respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which, of which we are a small part. This principle does not need to be modified or construed in any way to fit in with my, my, my vision this morning. This principle is very important to me and is one that I can most easily put into practice on a daily basis. I like to think I respected the web of all existence long before I'd even heard of Unitarian Universalism, but it certainly was good to hear that a religion gave such prominence to this type of concept. How did I arrive where I am today regarding my thoughts on animal rights, human responsibilities, and vegetarianism? I started off, like almost everyone else in this room, I suspect, as a meat eater. Culinary Britain, 40 years ago, was dominated by the meat and two vegetable idea, and my family were no different. On my dad's side of the family, my grandfather was a butcher, with all that that entailed, and on my mother's side of the family, my grandfather was a cowman for 40 years. So I come from a heritage rich in consuming animal products. My dad in particular was a vowed meat eater and remained so until his dying day. My journey to vegetarianism was a gradual step-by-step -step process. It started with my decision to cut out red meat from my diet. I did this with a view 
selfish reasons, really, from, for my own health, rather than any kind regard for the animals that it was derived from. I remember being in my kitchen about 30 to 35 years ago, preparing a Christmas meal for my parents and my brother. My brother had been a vegetarian for a long time, and I knew my mother enjoyed vegetarian food, but I just knew it wouldn't be Christmas for my dad if he didn't get his turkey. So I went off and bought the smallest turkey I could find and proceeded to prepare it for cooking. But just being in the kitchen handling the raw turkey that particular morning, and I began thinking about the life that it had probably led, brought me to the realization from that day onwards, I was going to try my darndest to become a vegetarian. I'd be lying if I said if the smell of hot, crispy bacon has not tempted me over the years. It certainly has. I certainly am not zealous about my vegetarianism, as I will eat soup made from a chicken broth, or if you're kind enough to offer me a quiche and it's got specks of bacon in it, yummy, yummy. I do not eat anything with legs, as I was explaining to the children earlier, apart from crabs. So that, again, makes me a pescatarian, not a vegetarian, which I think is a pretty healthy compromise. I think you would agree with me when I say that pets enrich our lives. We treat them like part of the family. We feed them, we pay their vet bills, we let them sleep on our beds at night, and then we cry when they sadly die on us. I used to own two cats, but as any cat owner will verify, cats don't have owners. I think they have staff. I think man's capacity to love and bond with other species is one of the joys of being human. I mean, it's something we take for granted, but don't they enrich our lives? You know, our cats and dogs and goldfish and all sorts of animals people have as pets. Mahatma Gandhi once said, and I quote, the greatness of a nation can be judged by the way its animals are treated. The greatness of a nation could be judged by the way its animals are treated. I don't think he was only referring to our pets. Do you? Why is it that we classify some animals as companions and others as dinner? And by virtue of that distinction, we feel entitled to treat farm animals with cruelty as long as it reduces the price per pound at the supermarket. It's because we've made a semantic distinction between some animals and others. Some we love, and others we not only butcher, but torture as well. We forget that they all have something in common with us. They all draw breath from the same source as we do. They are all parts of the, they are all parts of the earth community, and as someone wisely once said, all God's critters have a place in the choir. Imagine you're a, you are at a dinner party. Mouth-watering smells are emanating from the kitchen and your host brings a pot of steaming, savory stew. After eating several mouthfuls, you ask your friend for the recipe. Oh, I'd be happy to tell you, she says. You begin with five pounds of well-marinated golden retriever meat. You would probably freeze mid-bite as you think about the meat in your mouth. 
Why is it that we react so differently to different types of meat? It's not because there is a physical difference between them. It's because our perception of them is different. We love dogs and eat cows, despite both being sentient beings with real feelings, preferences, and a, and a consciousness. Not only do we perceive meat from different animals differently, different humans view the same meat differently. For example, take a Hindu. He or she may have the same response to being served beef as an American would to being served dog meat. Some Europeans routinely eat horse meat and other cultures eat a whole range of animals that the typical American would not put near his or her mouth. We choose to classify animals as pest, prey, or food, or pet, and our judgment determines how we relate to it. There are laws in every state prohibiting cruelty to animals. However, and this is a big however, animals destined for human consumption are exempt. In practical terms, it means that if an animal is raised with a view to gleaning its eggs, milk, meat, skin, or wool, you can, without restriction, subject that animal to conditions that if you applied the same to your family pet, could easily land you in jail. One of my musical heroes, Paul McCartney, has been a, a lifelong vegetarian, sort of inspired by his late wife, Linda McCartney. And he once famously said, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, everyone would be vegetarian. We would feel better about ourselves and better about the animals knowing we're not contributing to their pain. So true. It is only through our ignorance, our reluctance to see, or willingness to look the other way that the livestock industry is able to continue its barbaric treatment of animals. The factory farming industry goes to great lengths to hide their ghastly procedures from our view because they know that the general public are essentially animal lovers and would turn against eating their products in our millions if the truth was widely known. I'm not going to describe the gory details about the lives that factory farm animals lead before they end up on our plates. I'll leave that to your imagination. Suffice to say, if the same treatment were handed out to humans, it would be deemed the animal equivalent of what innocent humans suffered during the Holocaust. For those of you that I have provoked into thinking more about your food choices, I recommend watching the movie Food Incorporated, or alternatively, you can read the book Why We Eat Cows and Love Dogs. Our incongruent feelings towards different animals is factory farming's trump card, and they certainly know how to play it. They go to great lengths to create the disconnect between the way they treat animals and our purchasing decisions at the supermarket. The establishments that produce the bulk of our meat are mainly invisible, and that is through no accident. They are often located in remote areas away from our prying eyes, and their trucks are often sealed and unmarked. We don't see what is going on because we're not meant to see what is going on. A friend of mine recently took her son to Temple Hill Farm near Luckett's, just down the road on Route 15. Her son became enamored with one of the cows, apart from its wet tongue. 
When told that people actually eat cows' tongues, he was shocked and horrified. Her son, along with many other children and adults, had previously made no connection between animals happily grazing in a field and the nicely packaged portions of meat found in the supermarket. Prominent UUs from the past have been on the vanguard of great social changes. UUs were active in the promotion of women's suffrage and women's rights in the early 20th century. UUs were prominent in the civil rights movement of the 1960s, right up until today, when UUs are promoting an end to discrimination against gays, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and queer people. I do not see why UUs of today cannot take the lead in promoting compassion for all animals, even if it means we all pay a little bit more for ethically raised and slaughtered animal products. You know, Unitarian Universalists have a proud history of standing up to unjust social issues, and I can see no reason as to why we cannot apply ourselves to combating the propaganda from the factory farming industry. We have changed hearts and minds before, and I can see no reason at all why we cannot do the same with animal advocacy. UUs have been proud to stand up against injustice, oppression, and cruelty. Surely these goals should include our attitudes towards animals. From the moment we are born, we become engulfed within the power of the meat producers. We are fed Gerber baby food, meat products, followed by enticements to eat Happy Meals from McDonald's. Did we ever question our parents or teachers when they told us that eating meat made us strong? I certainly didn't. I don't believe that indoctrination and sublimation are two strong words to use when describing the power and influence the factory farming industries have upon us. And as well as the actual cruelty to animals, there are other reasons to consider vegetarianism. Firstly, there are many environmental reasons, including deforestation, biodiversity loss, soil erosion, and greenhouse gas emissions. Cattle on this earth produce more CO2 than all the cars on the earth. That's a pretty amazing fact. Also, consider your health. That was the original reason I got into vegetarianism. I wasn't so much worried about the animals. I was worried about my own health. Do you really want to digest growth hormones and antibiotics? Because that's exactly what you're doing unless you're buying ethically raised meat. I believe this is a good compromise for those who are still yearning for our meat and, and animal products. The other benefit of eating these products is that they are raised locally, resulting in lower transportation costs and support the local economy. Also, adopting the Meatless Monday idea is a great place to embark on a new relationship with the meat in your diet. If you're attempting to change your eating habits, then a slow, gradual process will yield much more success than suddenly going, deciding to go meatless overnight. That's what I've found from personal experience. I could spend the next five minutes quoting various statistics, but to underline my argument, I'm going to use one and one only. Listen to this. It takes 2,000 pounds of grain to produce enough meat to feed one person with enough meat and other animal products for one year. Alternatively, if that person ate the grain directly, it would take only 400 pounds to feed them. So in other words, it takes one-fifth of the amount of grain if the animal is bypassed from the equ equation.
The animals of this world exist for their own reasons, and it's very arrogant for man to think they were only put on this earth to be exploited for our own ends. They were not made for humans any more than black people were made for white people, or women were made for men. And as the former president of the Unitarian Universalist Association, Reverend Peter Morales, once stated, and I quote, the realization that how we treat animals is an ethical issue grows out of this spirituality of compassion and awareness of connection. There is no reason compassion should stop at human beings. Of course we should be concerned with the treatment of animals. This is a spiritual, this is a religious issue. His statement was reinforced at the 2011 UU General Assembly when it approved a statement of conscience on ethical eating. It called on UUs to eat ethically by, by becoming aware of the ways that our food choices affect our health and the health of the planet. And just like Emily the cow in the story that I told to the children earlier, we have been surreptitiously been herded into a lineup and taught to follow a course that's been laid out for us. But also, like Emily, we can choose to break free from the crowd. In conclusion this morning, I, I don't expect to have converted you to a vegetarian diet, but I do hope some of you at least pause for thought the next time you are about to put a steak in your shopping basket and then the wide-ranging effects of continuing, continuing to eat a meat-based diet. And finally, I will leave you with the following thought from Martin Luther King Jr. Never, never be afraid to do what's right especially if the well-being of a past person or animal is at stake. Society's punishments are small compared to the wounds we inflict on our soul when we look the other way. That's so important, I'm going to say it one more time. Never, never be afraid to do what's right, especially if the well-being of a person or animal is at stake. Society's punishments are small compared to the wounds we inflict on our soul when we look the other way. May your God go with you and let it be so.